0: I'm your host, Johanna Ruddy. On this weekly series, Dr. Drossman and I are frequently joined by guests as we discuss disorders of gut-brain interaction, their diagnosis and treatment, and of course, patient provider communication skills, trainings, and tips that are helpful for patients and doctors alike. Thanks for joining us. Hi everyone, welcome to another question and answer session with Dr. Drossman and myself. Today we're continuing our series on patient provider communication and the benefits that effective communication has for both patients and providers. And today we're gonna talk about how to handle um, clinical situations where the patient is accompanied by a family member and how that can be a little bit tricky sometimes for both the patient and for the provider. So hi Dr. Drossman, how are you today?
1: I am doing fine. Uh, This is a fun video. This will be an interesting experience. We're talking about transition. So this is actually applicable to people in pediatrics as well as adult and for patients as well. We're talking about um, a situation where the doctor is seeing a patient who's an adolescent with the parent. Now, the parent is obviously very interested in the welfare of the child and wants to be there. And the child is transitioning to adulthood. So how do we handle that? How does the physician handle that? And as a patient, how would you do it if you were either the adolescent or the, the mom? So let me get you to show you the video and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Need to share a screen.
0: And share video, uh, audio, please.
1: Okay.
2: Hello, Nancy. I'm Dr. Drossman and Ms. Simpson. Nice to meet you both.
0: You
3: too. Thank you for seeing us today.
2: Okay. Well, how can I help you, Nancy?
3: So for the past couple of years, I've been having abdominal pain and bloating, and it's becoming to a point where it's getting worse, and uh-huh. I'm about to go to college, and I'm here today to see if you can help me.
0: But it's not just that, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. Dr. Drossman, it's more than that. I mean, she's being she's being too tough. She's not even telling you how sick she's really been. Like. She has very bad abdominal pains. She has um, diarrhea some days, constipation other days, right? Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. and she, like, it's gotten, you're
3: not even eating like you should be. I, I mean, am somewhat.
0: Well,
2: well, why don't you tell me yeah. how it's affecting your life?
3: Well, I can't go out all the time now. I'm always at home in pain. And, mm-hmm. and I think she might have to just stay home with us. I mean, she can barely go
0: to
2: class. Uh, That's all right. So, finish what you were saying,
3: please. So like i said you know i'm always at home and i'm not doing much i'm not exercising i'm not going out with my friends to eat i'm on a limited diet and Mm -hmm. um look she's
0: like lost like what seven pounds eight pounds so far not quite
3: she's like wasting away
2: so she says you lost seven pounds what do you think
3: i mean i lost probably up to five pounds but it just waxes and wanes you know some days i i gain it back and some days i don't so it just really depends my mom exaggerates things a bit sometimes i got her a sweater in her normal size and it hangs on her
2: all right why don't we get back to the history Mm -hmm. uh tell me more about how it's affecting things for you right now
3: so um i'm going to be starting school next semester so Mm. i'm constantly in bed and i'm not doing much and i'm not eating much and it's just impacting my life. I'm hoping to even start a part-time job during this time.
2: And you're you're going to school away from home right now?
3: Yes. Okay. Yes. Which is my mom's very concerned about. I am because I'm
0: not there. I mean, I I, I call mm-hmm. her every day. She's telling me she's in bed, that she didn't go to her morning classes because her stomach was hurting too badly, that she's not eating. We pay for the meal plan. Mm-hmm. I see that she's not going to the cafeteria. She's not logging in her card. So I know she's not eating because that's the only place she would be able to eat. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm very concerned that it's getting out of control. She was trying to manage it on her own I'm with over the counter. It's not working. It's not working.
3: I don't know. I think you're exaggerating mom
0: if, at times. If it's okay,
2: Miss Simpson, I want try to take more from your story from your daughter of
0: course i'm just trying to add some context because she doesn't always give all of the details
2: you know i'm sure that this is affecting both of you uh Mm -hmm. how is it affecting you with her
0: well i'm very concerned about her i mean she's my only daughter we adopted her from china when she was three she's she's always been very special to me and i'm just so concerned that i can't be there when she's not feeling well I just
2: I'll be okay. What worries you the most about is
0: that it's going to spiral out of control, that she's going to end up in the hospital without me, that she's going to end up with an eating disorder because she's not eating appropriately to when her stomach Mm -hmm. hurts and she's going to lose all of this weight. And it's going to be just something that we just can't get back into control. And that's really, she has such a bright future. She's so smart. I know about me. I just, she has to continue to be able to be okay.
2: I mean, it's hard for Nancy, it's hard for you too. Yeah.
0: So what can we do?
2: Well, I think we have ways to treat this. Mm -hmm. I think what I want to do now is talk to you some more. Okay. Uh, And both of you can participate. Mm -hmm. But I really want to hear your side of the story. Okay. And we'll focus on that, then we'll do a physical exam. Mm And then what I'd like to do, if it's okay, is mm-hmm. to see you one-on-one mm-hmm. to talk a little bit more. I mean, you're an adult now.
0: Dr. Drossman, yeah. I I don't really think that, that that's gonna be helpful. I have a lot of perspective as her mom, and I really think it would be better. I mean, this is the first time that you're seeing a
3: specialist by yourself.
0: Nancy, I mean, how do, how do you feel be... about that?
3: Um, I guess it's okay.
2: I think we'll go ahead and talk, and then we'll all get together, and we'll summarize things.
3: Okay.
0: I mean, but I'll be just right outside the door. So okay. So if you need anything, you just tell him. If she gets uncomfortable, I'll just be right there.
3: Okay.
2: Thank you. I know you. her well-being is important to you, yeah. too. Okay.
1: Let me stop share here. So,
0: oh, I think that's a very um, common situation for a lot of patients of adolescents, and for a lot of providers who are treating adolescents or young adults.
1: Sure, as I said, it's transitions. Also, child is going to school. Um, As a mom, does this ever? come up in your life
0: so uh yes as you saw that uh, role came very easy for me to play i have a 19 year old son who's away at school and uh yeah i mean that mother was not just dealing with the illness of her daughter but with the fact that her daughter was transitioning to adulthood she wasn't handling that very well Um, and the fact that our daughter was, you know, had moved out of the house and was assuming more responsibility for herself was, was challenging for the mom, um, who was experiencing a lot of emotions at that point. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very, very real for me.
1: (laughs) And the doctor is in a situation of how do we attend to both the parent and the child? The child is the patient. The child is pretty much an adult going away to college. And the mother is there, essentially, if you can look at her body language, she's focused very close to the child facing her, does a lot of containment nonverbal measures, like putting her hand on her arm while she's talking. The child has her body away from her trying to look at me and try to assume her role as an adult, but still, Keeps looking at her mom for approval. There's a lot of a lot of nonverbal uh, aspects here that that come up in addition to the dialogue. So um, maybe we should talk a little bit about what was done. How, yes. how did the doctor address this? So I'm going to uh, share the screen again and bring this slide over. So I put down a few of the key points. Um, It started uh, where the interview of the adolescent was, let's say, intruded upon by the nonverbal and the verbal. Um, She talks about her abdominal pain and bloating and the mother leans forward, touches her hands, and states how bad her daughter is doing. Um, the, The daughter, as you see, as it evolves, tries to minimize that, say it's not so bad, you're exaggerating. So the doctor, The first effort was to redirect the interview toward the patient. So he starts facing her directly and asks her how it's affecting her life. So by putting the the mother, the proxemics of that, where the mother is not directly in line, that gives the daughter the opportunity to speak. The mother interrupts again and says the daughter is not eating and losing weight. She communicates worry and the patient minimizes this. the, there is a, a, a the dynamic of the mother, of the child going to uh, away to school, worry that she's not going to classes, not eating, and the mother uh, notes the mother is exaggerating. The patient says that she's exaggerating. Um, the doctor at this point is seeing the need to really address both parties, both concerns, rather than focusing only on the child. And he says the illness is affecting both he asked the mother how she's doing, and the mother brings up very relevant information. It's her only child, and she is adopted. Well, that would put a lot of responsibility on her raising the child and uh, may make her feel more anxious than others if there were multiple children or if this were not adopted in terms of the child going to school. She worries about not being able to take care of uh, the child and fears she may even get an eating disorder. Uh, And the doctor empathizes, explaining, empathizing, stating how difficult this is. He does reassure and say there are ways to treat the symptoms. And then what he proposes is to talk with the patient directly without the mother. Now, this has multiple values. Um, One is that you get to understand more about where the child is. It also communicates a measure, a method, uh, I'm sorry, a message that the child is growing up and has a right to be speaking for herself. But the mother's not out of the picture. The mother would come back in. And so when I have situations like this, I do ask for a period of time after, usually after the physical exam, where I talk with the child alone and then bring the parent in. And most parents will agree to that. Some may be reluctant, but they do agree. If the mother uh, or father, I'm saying mother here, were to protest too much, that's data that I would need to deal with. Why is that? Why is it so difficult for me to speak to her alone? And so we can use that as a segue into understanding more about their relationship and how that might be affecting the illness. So as you see here, he he then says, they will all get together and summarize the findings, and then they, they agree.
2: So
0: Dr. Drossman, question for you. In this scenario, the mother agrees to your suggestion and um, you are able to presumably then meet with the patient alone first. What about situations where the family member refuses that option and, and doesn't allow you access to the patient alone? What, how would you handle
3: that?
1: Well, it's very rare that they would do that. Um, I, I would assert it more. And if, if they don't, then I would I would probably say then I see a problem here because it's it would be usual and expected that an 18-year-old adolescent could be, could be have a private discussion with me. And maybe we have to understand that more as a problem. And I would, I would go back to the mother and say, why do you think this is happening when most people would agree? And what I'm doing is I'm creating a dialogue where hopefully the mother could self-reflect and eventually back down and let this occur.
3: Okay.
0: And I have one other question for you um, in regards to the symptom description. You know, the patient's symptom description seems to be much different than the mother's descriptions of the daughter's. Symptoms, right? The mother is very concerned. She's describing them as as severe and problematic, affecting all aspects of the daughter's life. The daughter seems to minimize that. How much of that is the daughter being maybe embarrassed to be truthful about the impact, or how much of it is the mother's hypervigilance and over exertion here?
1: It's probably a combination of both. I think the child is needing to leave the family and is in her own way, conflicted about that, wants to do it on her own, but doesn't wanna be seeing herself in a role of being very helpless and dependent. So by seeing the child alone, we can encourage that dependency, but still maintain, I mean, independence, but right. still maintain the attention to the illness. Um, i I think how severe it is is really up to the child to decide that. Yes. Uh and and so that's where I would work with with the child and then uh then let the see the degree to which the child can communicate that to the mother and I would be there uh, as well providing a professional opinion.
0: Yeah and it may be that the daughter is, you know, unwilling to be truly transparent about the severity of the symptoms for the reason you just said, she doesn't want to appear helpless and doesn't want to worry her mother even more, but you might be able to get to that on your one-on-one interview once the mother leaves the room. So that's, that's key.
1: It may also also bring up um, when you see them alone, uh, another complicated issue that there may be uh, unsavory situations happening. Uh, you know uh, early trauma or things of that sort and 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 then the states decide the legality of when the parents have to be notified for an 18 year old if she were to disclose something like that and didn't want her mother to know uh, we have another video about that as well right i i would probably say that if you don't want me to say that i won't but the time will come where you may want to share that and we can talk about that So I leave the door open for her to be able to have the responsibility to do that, rather than me disclosing it to the mother against her wishes.
0: Right. And can this situation extend beyond the parent-child relationship to spouses or uh, children of more elderly patients as well?
1: It, it, It speaks to, yes, it speaks to the issue of not always seeing everybody together when it looks like that the child needs to have, or the person, the the patient needs to have their own independent relationship with the doctor. Yeah.
0: Well, this has been really helpful. If you have any questions about this topic that Dr. Drossman can answer, please let us know. Send us a message, Um, send me an email. We'll always get back to you as quickly as possible. Thanks for joining us for another session. We'll see you next week. Until then, take good care. Bye, everyone.
1: Take care, everybody.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gut Feelings, a Rome Foundation Drossman Care podcast series. Find more helpful tips, downloadable resources, videos, and more on our website at theromefoundation.org. Look under the resource tab for our patient Q&A videos, gut feelings blog, articles, and more. Have you purchased your copy of Gut Feelings, Disorders of Gut-Brain Interaction and the Patient-Provider Relationship book yet? Be sure to find that on the Rome Foundation website and place your order or find us on Amazon as well. We look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of Gut Feelings. This has been your host, Johanna Ruddy.